everybody. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I have some really exciting news. I wrote a short film called Dominic, and we are going to be shooting it here very soon. We are short a little bit of funds, so we have set up a GoFundMe account. If you can, drop a dollar or whatever you can. I really appreciate it. And you can do that on my website, andreanatoli.com forward slash Dominic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm really excited. I think I say that every week that I'm really excited, but I actually am really excited every single week. But this week I have on my acting coach, my mentor, he's a producer, an actor himself, a writer, and a really cool guy and a lot of information I did not know about him. He's uh, very interesting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Let's go. It's Hey, everybody. I'm really excited today to welcome to my podcast, Dean Kraling. In the house. In the house. Dean is my acting teacher, my mentor. He's a director. He's a producer. He's an actor. He's done a ton of things. And we met here in Vegas at his acting class, DK Acting Studios. Yes, right here in the beautiful town of Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah. How long have you been here? So you you can't you originally started in Vegas, is that right or no? I did in terms of birth. Mm-hmm. I was born here. I was introduced into acting by a gentleman named John Gregory. He had the Gregory Studios here in Las Vegas. They were like downtown on Maryland, and he was wonderful. And how old were you? Were you like a kid actor? I was around ten. Okay. And I remember we had a showcase at the auditorium at Las Vegas High School, which is now, I think, the Las Vegas Academy of Performing Arts. Wow. And I just wanted to steal the whole show. <laughs> I, one guy didn't know his lines, and I was like, I'll take his part. Wow. You know, real team player yeah. in the sixth grade, yeah, or whatever I was, 10. Yeah. And, uh, but it was fun. I loved it. Yeah. But I didn't get back into it really professionally until 30. I always had an interest. Mm. I was a real uh, scallywag who loved college. So eight years of college. What's a scallywag for those of us listening that oh, don't for, know? For those who haven't <laughs> been on a pirate ship before. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Aramites. Scallywag's a scoundrel, a scoundrel with the wind of the sea in his hair. I love it. Or her, of course. Okay. Or they, however you wish to right. present yourself. Right. But yeah, and so I ended up in Vegas, uh, came back in 2016. I was working for a scouting and development company for talent out of Los Angeles at the time. And they wanted me to do a workshop here, an agent workshop. Mm -hmm. And so I came and it was mostly kids. It was mostly 16 and under. And it was fabulous. had a really good time. Um, And a lot of the kids wanted me to stay and teach. And I thought, well, I'm semi-retired from the business anyway. I've just spent the last five years in the mountains of Virginia, Mm. hiking and pulling off ticks at good times. And um, so I thought, yeah, I'll stay because I am from here originally. I was born here. Right, which is unusual. 
to meet people born in Vegas. My kids, both my sons were born in Vegas. Mm, Did you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Both my sons were born here. One at Sunrise Hospital and one at Women's Hospital, which is no longer here. Mm. But, I, yeah, and I did a little a little dibble-dab when I was young. At, do you remember Rainbow? Wasn't there a Rainbow? I think it was called Rainbow Children's Theater Rainbow group. Theater, yes. Rainbow Theater, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it was it was the Children's Theater Group. If I, mm-hmm. I auditioned for Gypsy, and I was very upset that I didn't get the part. They didn't cast you? They did not cast me. <laughs> I was too young. Whatever. Losers. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was bringing it. You know what I mean? I was bringing it hard at 12 years old. I was like, I could play 18. We're like, this is, we can't do this, you know? <laughs> yeah, were you playing Gypsy Rose Lee? I was trying to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't letting me, no. <sighs> I was like caught, you know, that we're too right. young for the good part and too old for the kid part. Right, and, right, right. Meanwhile, yeah. the mother is a 14-year-old. There you go. Yeah, so right. children's theater. I know. I'm like, well, they were all kids. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. It's so great to expose kids to the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, especially nowadays, I believe, because they don't have so much opportunity, I don't think. It's so easy, a video game, a movie, some Netflix who wants to drudge out to a theater anymore? It's, you know, it's kind of hard for them now. Yeah. So it's, I praise children's theater for that. Yeah. You know, for getting kids kids involved. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important. Um, I was just talking to my son today and he was saying to me, like, he goes, I, he's like, how did you raise this mom where we have this thing where we're just like go-getters where they're, I said, I think a lot of it was, I just did not let them stay in the house. Like if I got up on a Saturday morning and they were like hanging around, I was like, get out. Go do something. I don't care. Ride your bike or do something. And um, that's just how I was raised. We weren't allowed to just sit in the house all day long. Yeah. 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 It's a different form of parenting, I think. I mean, I think yeah. we're still, you know, I, I'm a parent. I, I have two kids who are now 18. I've met your daughter. Your daughter, yes. too, right? Two Isabella daughters? and Sophia. Are they twins? They're twins. They're, they're identical twins. Wow. Mirror identical. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful young lady. They're very sweet. And I met your mom, too. Who Nothing I like me. I am in yeah. love with your mother. Thank you. Oh, what a sweetheart your mom is. My mother, uh, I'm going to tell you you said that. I really like her. Like, we just, I came to your house to uh, work on an audition, and I, you know, your mom and I, we were in the in the dining room there for like the longest time just talking. She's fascinating woman. Great American uh, story, my mother, I believe. Her father came on the boat from Sicily mm. when he was 13. Um, her mother came uh, from Czech Republic um, when she was around the same age. Um, and they started a family uh, when they were like still in their teens. So my mother grew up very, very poor, uh, Knickerbocker Lane in New York. Mm-hmm. And a very Italian neighborhood, um, very tough, no formal education. Um, again, came from a very poor background, but yet owned her own businesses and did very well in, uh, while she worked. She's retired now um, for like 50, 60 years. Wow. It's a real American dream. If it you is. put in the work, you put in the sweat. Yeah. You know, you can catch the breaks. Yeah. And make, make your dreams come true. And so she met your father... Here in Vegas. Okay. Yeah, my father came from St. Louis. Um, and he was a fun guy, my dad. I remember one time as a kid, you know, troublemakers. And we were throwing olives, and we, one of them went into a guy's window in his house. And they came over, and he was like that old guy that, like, would come out with a shotgun, you know, to shoot your dog if it was going to poop on his yard. Like, he was that that guy, right? 
And he came over, and my dad was like furious. Hey, what? Oh, my God. Oh, what? My, he did what? He grabs me, drags me into the bedroom, and I'm like, Dad, what, what? He feigns like he's going to hit me and signals me he's going to hit the bed. So he hits the bed, and I go, ah. He hits the bed. I go, ah. Oh, that was a cool dad, That's you know? Great. That's I, really cool. I got the point, not to yeah. cause trouble. And, yeah. You know, my behind appreciated it for right, sure. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. You have a, to go to therapy for 20 years and work through all that trauma. No, no. Um, just a lot of cults. <laughs> a lot of cults. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was really good times growing up in Las Vegas. There was still where, where the did mafia. you grow up? What part? Downtown. Oh. In the um, where you live now, like yeah. in that area. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Same neighborhood. Interesting. And it was interesting then because the mafia still basically ran this town then. Right. And a lot of people say it, and you know, it's. I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but it's true. It was a much smoother running town yeah. when those guys ran it. Yeah, I've heard that. A crime, you didn't even, didn't petty crime, anywhere near the strip downtown, you did not worry about that. Um, and so it was kind of fun growing up in Vegas. I certainly know how to play poker. Mm. Um, yeah, what about you now, Andrea? Yeah, see, I, I grew, well, I wouldn't say I grew up here. My So I grew up in New Jersey, but then when my parents divorced, so what happened was my parents were entertainers and they performed all over the world. And they performed a lot in Vegas. They opened for Sarah Vaughn, George Burns. I mean, they were, like, very popular here, Nipsey Russell. Mm. And um, they were, like, a cute little... I'll show you a picture of them afterwards. But they they were a cute little, like, almost like a Sonny and Cher kind of singing, dancing comedy act. Very Vegas, really. Very Vegas. And so my mom brought her mom and sister and dad out to Vegas for a vacation. Uh, they all lived in Kearney, New Jersey, and... When they came for the vacation, my grandparents said, we're not going back. We're staying here. We're not, we're going to stay in Vegas. So they stayed in Vegas. And then when my parents wound up getting divorced many years later, um, my mom basically kidnapped me and my brother and moved us to Vegas. Didn't say anything, just mm. sold the house and took off and came to Vegas. Mm. And um, so I went to Cashman Junior High for like a year and a half. Um, but mm-hmm. it was very hard for me to... Just the transition from like little suburban neighborhood in Bloomfield, New Jersey, Catholic mm. school, my whole family, my whole friends, to like Vegas mm. junior high, very different. Very, you know, very different. So I went back. I went back and lived with my grandmother, and then too much. The city. It too, was just too much. Yeah, yeah but because we're really way more advanced than I was. And um, I'll tell you a funny story. Mm. I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. But what happened was. I couldn't really fit in, but I was always sort of like a little bit of a hustler, a little bit of like very smart. You know, I grew up doing commercials and plays and stuff in New York. So I kind of assessed the situation and there was a boy that I liked, but I was still like very naive in a way. And so he said to me one day, he goes, um, he goes, do your parents have like any kind of medication or anything at the house? And I was like, I don't know. I can go home and look. So I went home and looked and, uh, and I told him the next day, I go, yeah, my, my stepfather, which was my mom's boyfriend, I go, he's got some Tylenol with codeine. And the guy goes, oh, he's like, I got terrible pain. Could you bring it to me? I go, yeah, absolutely. So I took the bottle, brought it to school, mm-hmm. gave it to him, and I got caught. And then they put me in a drug program. <laughs> so I was in Vegas. <laughs> a drug program. I had to go to the six-week drug program with my mother, who was mortified. 
So we, we had to sit in this drug program and it was the funniest thing. I'll never forget because you had to like, first day you had to say what you were in for. So it was like, I mean, thugs. They were like, yeah, crack cocaine, cocaine, heroin. I was like, Tylenol with codeine. It was like so embarrassing. You know? Codeine I like, kid. I was like, I didn't even take it. I just gave it to somebody. They were like, well, that's called dealing drugs. I'm like, I don't even get paid. How is that dealing drugs? She's hardcore. I know. It's like so embarrassing. So, um, yeah. So my dad was like, you know, pressuring my mom to send me back because obviously I wasn't adjusting well. And yeah, the drug dealing wasn't really drug dealing wasn't a good. Yeah, wasn't, it wasn't working out. Wasn't working out for me. Yeah. So I went yeah. back, and um, and then after my grandmother died, I came back, and um, I was going to a performing arts school in in uh, Montclair, New oh, Jersey. No, what happened to the boy? Did he, once he got the code, you know, he I hit the wind. He or? just he never talked to me again, and <laughs> yeah, jerk. Yeah, Punk. nothing. I know. And I looked him up. I couldn't find him on Facebook. I thought I would look him up on Facebook. Because you know you do that oh, to look yeah. up and go, look, where are you now? Where am I oh, now? You're, you know uh, what I mean? <laughs> were you thinking of trolling? Be honest. With your thoughts the troll of trolling? just be like, yeah. Because yeah. you know, have you ever, tr like some people that I knew back in the day, like mm. there was a girl and I won't even say which school and I won't even say her name, but she was gorgeous. I mean, I mm. was just like, oh my God, I wanted to be her. Mm. And then... I saw her out here in Vegas, and it was like, mm. oh, my God, it did not work out well for her. Mm. But she was drop-dead gorgeous. Like, mm. so you never know. Mm. Anyway, so. Vegas not for everybody. Vegas is not I, for everybody. I have to say that. I was talking to someone last week about gambling. Oh, that's a tough one. If and, you have a gambling addiction, oh, can't you live know, here. Yeah. And they have, they were speaking of, um, about they have to get it under control. Um, it was an individual who was wanting to come to my acting class. Mm. He was talking about money is tough. And I said, well, I'll give you the golden rule of gambling if you like. I don't know if it's going to help. It's just words. You'd have to actually do something with it. He goes, I'll give it a try. And here's what my parents taught me growing up in Las Vegas about gambling. You only gamble with money you would throw in the gutter. <laughs> So if I got a hundred bucks and I'm like, hey, I could just throw that in the gutter. Right. I'll go to Caesars, <laughs> throw it in their gutter. Maybe I'll get something back. Right. And then if I double my money, I'm gone. Yeah. It's such a great role. That's how I play, by the way. That's exactly how I play. Mm -hmm. I don't have the gambling addiction at all. I have no. other things, but not gambling. Like I can go play. Like I went one time I was at the Red Rock and I went for breakfast and I came out and I was waiting. I was going to get my hair done. I had some time to kill. And I won 180 bucks, and I was ecstatic. Mm -hmm. But I, doom, cashed out, went home. I I don't think in my mind maybe I could double it. That doesn't cross into my mind. I think this is a gift <laughs> that yeah. I won anything. Yeah, you know, just very much so, right? Yeah. If you win, you're like, hey, you're happy. Yep. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I've never played really card games. That might be a little bit. Maybe that would be more challenging to walk away. But I just play slots. I play draw poker. I like draw poker because I feel like there's a little mm -hmm. fun to it. But I'll mm -hmm. play at the gas station while I'm waiting for my car. And I'm like, all right. Mm -hmm. Now the twenty dollar, whatever car wash is now thirty, forty, whatever. You it, know, whatever it, I lost. It is fun like that. I mean, I'll even find myself at the airport mm -hmm. dropping twenty where I know those things are rigged. Or I'm no one. Ever, I'm not going to win. Oh on that God, thing. not at the airport, right? And I, you know, I don't <laughs> know if these things are true. But this is how we think, right? Yeah. And I'm just like. Of course, you never do, but it's a great way to kill um, card games. Is um, A lot of my friends that grew up here in Las Vegas at Gamble, they like to play the, um, I hope I'm not giving away secret information here, they like to play the tournaments, uh, out-of-towners play at certain of uh, the strip casinos. Yeah. 
um, poker tournaments there. Mm. And apparently there's so many people playing that really don't know how to play. Um, such a difference in poker playing online and live. Um, oh. You know, it really is in the eyes of your opponent, your yeah. game. Yeah. And, um, and so in poker, when you play live, it becomes a whole new element. Um, and so it's, hmm. it's kind of a fun way. I know quite a few people that make a lot of extra money doing that, playing poker in the tournament. I would like to, that's something I would like to learn how to do. And I, I wonder if, because you're a good, if you're a good actor, I wonder if that comes into play because it's a lot of bluffing. It's a lot of, right. It's reading. It's the, it's like that wonderful scene with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in true romance. Mm-hmm. Where he says, you know, there's 99 ways I'm the all time champ of liars. There's 99 <laughs> yeah. ways. And, um, it's you're really it's the tells you're reading yeah. the tells on your opponent and their patterns and consistencies and really the rest of it is just math. Yeah. 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 Math part not good at, but I will say I am I have a weird kind of instinct with people, a really mm-hmm. strange, almost like like Kevin and I've been married. Uh, we've been together going on seven years. We've been married for six, and I will he'll tell me something and I go, yeah, it's not true. It's not going to happen. I just know mm-hmm. where I'll be like, mm-hmm. mm, no, that guy, whatever it is, or I bet what happened was actually this. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just comes, it's like, wow. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like he doesn't give me enough recognition on it because I'm so spot on sometimes. I'm like, I mean, dude, I fucking called that. No one called it. That was like out of the blue. But I don't know what it is. It's like, mm. I just have that. I feel like it's kind of a back east thing. Like, it's just kind mm. of like a, you get a sense about I, something. I would advise Kevin to hone in on that. Yeah, because that could make you a lot of money and save you a lot of time. It could right? be a gold mine. <laughs> he could be sitting on an Italian gold mine over here. That's what I tell him. Like, you should mine this for gold, man. I, yeah. I'm i spotting this before it I, ever happens. There's women's intuition. Yes. And then there's Andrea. There's It's like dialed up. It's a whole new level. It's like a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's what... I think it's, well, maybe it's, maybe it has something to do with acting for some, you know, I started in commercials when I was three, you know, so could be. I was on the set and having, having, to, and also having parents that were crazy. I also kind of had to always read, like I scanned the bush really fast in a situation, mm. always looking for danger, trouble, what's going to be the problem, you know, that kind of stuff. Maybe that kind of builds your, your instincts. I believe so. I know um, the gentleman I studied with at the Beverly Hills Playhouse, its founder, Milton Katzelis, mm. beautiful, beautiful man, one in a billion, Milton. And he believed, um, there's a great saying, I think the first time I heard it was from Robert De Niro, I believe it comes from Adler, which is talent lies in the choices. Mm. And Milton, of course, was, you can't argue with that. Yeah. And also the way Milton would also put it is, Talent is like a radar. It's a sensitivity meter, you know, mm. not like how easy you can cry, but right. how well you are affected and impacted by that around you. How in tune are you to that which is around you? Because as you know, listening um, is so vital True. Uh, for an actor. So you, you may have just acquired great listening skills. I mean, I've seen you act, of course, and you are fan- you're a fantastic actor. Thank you. I mean, you're very trained, but you also have great instincts and that, that listening, that that openness, mm. um, yeah, could very well be part of what, you know, makes me think Kevin should take you to the state line more <laughs> often and play the lottery or something, you know. Let me figure yeah. it out, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, the in, well, yeah, let's talk about the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Let's get into that a little bit. Mm. So, so how did you, how did you come upon that? So from Vegas, you went to L.A.? No. Um, from Las Vegas... Um, all over. 
um, all over the world, really. Um, I was in, after high school, day after high school, one-way ticket to Switzerland. Wow. Spent a year there. Why? What was the... I th- well, it was a gift. It was a high school graduation gift. I think my mother's boyfriend at the time just wanted to get rid of me. <laughs> And a genius way to do it. We're sending um, you to Switzerland. I don't want to go. You'll love it. One way ticket to Switzerland with a knapsack. And uh, hey, I'm 18. I'm game, right? Wow. And it was fabulous. Loved it. Um, I just had such a great time. The people were incredible. You know, it's funny. Wherever you go, it's really the people that make it or sure. break it for you, right? Yeah. And uh, so it was just but a at 18, fabulous. No fear, no like. What am I doing? I'm getting not, on a plane, going to Switzerland. Not really. I ended up getting a job in Grion as a dishwasher in a refuge in the Alps for the summer. Wow! Which was incredible because I love hiking, and so it was incredible. And then I just kicked it around Europe. I ended up working for the Freeburg Archaeological Institute as a digger. Hmm. Um, I was an illegal alien. Um, Great, uh, I guess, funny little story how I got the job. I was um, hanging out in a portion of the Black Forest, um, just camping, chilling. And I heard these guys, like it sounded like they were trying to start a chainsaw from afar. And I kind of walked through the woods a little bit. And there was, there was a group of three men standing around a little trailer. There's a big old tree right there and there's some strings around and they had a chainsaw and they couldn't quite get it to start. And I was like, hey guys, and they all spoke English. Um, Europe is so ahead of us, you know, yeah, us with the one language. language. Yeah, yeah they, they're just incredible. So I said, what's going on, guys? You know, and they're like, well, we're from the Freeburg Archaeological Institute, and we're doing an excavation of a Celtic tome and this tree. We need to cut it, but we can't have it fall on the trailer or on the tomb. Yeah. And we can't really figure it out. And I said, well, I know how to work a chainsaw are you guys hiring and they go well if you can work a chainsaw zing 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 <laughs> cut the tree spent the next year digging for the freeburg archaeological That's institute crazy now wait so... how did you even know how to work a, a chainsaw a chainsaw well when i was 15 i moved to the country in, in virginia oh okay that was when um, you were in virginia that's where i finished high school here okay. i went to uh, bishop gorman oh yeah my cousin went there yeah fun fun school yeah um yeah, it was fine. Um, I just wanted to go live with my dad. My parents mm-hmm. were divorced, so I moved yeah. to Virginia and lived with him. And I kind of wanted to retire. I was getting into a lot of trouble here. And were you a trouble? Were you a trouble kid? I was. Yeah. I was. I come from a family of independent business owning hustlers. Mm-hmm. So, like at ten, I was stealing fruit from the neighbors' trees and going to Oakey <laughs> and Eighth and selling them. <laughs> I thought that was fine. That was the American yeah. way to do it. Later, I realized that was trespassing. Right, trespassing, larceny. theft, larceny, yeah. right, yeah. <clears throat> but at the time, when you're young, I guess just a different time, it was yeah. ingenuity, capitalism. Yep. Uh, those are admired things. And so, which, I, why not? This is America. Yeah. And it was very fun. And so, yeah, I learned how to, because I was a farmhand uh, when I was living in Virginia, I was working. Um, you know, you got to have money and stuff like that. Sure. But it was Great experience. So I was pretty handy with a chainsaw. Not fantastic, but handy enough. And uh, But it was an incredible experience with those guys. And so I just sort of kept drifting around from... I was on Martha's Vineyard for a while, Arizona. Did wow. a little time in Florida. And I was kind of all over the place. And But always going to colleges, sneaking my way into colleges. I, I even snuck my way into a summer NYU film school. Wow. Uh, when I was there, there was a girl I was in love with. So I spent a summer in New York <laughs> learning how to write. Yeah. This was like in my early 20s. Wow. And then I fell in love with the storytelling. Yeah. 
And then basically when I hit 30, Andrea, I didn't know what to do. I had that kind of life where I didn't expect to live past 30. Wow. I was actually really shocked. And I was getting tired and bored. Uh, hard drugs, hard yeah. living. I got yeah. bored. I got, it just got old, funny yeah. enough, in a way, yeah. for me. And I just, it was a skin I was shedding. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of being reborn, I guess, in mm-hmm. a way. And so I took a month. I took a, I went into the hills of Asheville, North Carolina, and just sort of took a month to figure it out. Mm. And I literally wrote down, and I came up, I want to be a director. I thought I thought that's what I could really do in life, you know. How do I be? How do I become a director? Mm-hmm. So I, I cobbled some some my money and my savings and moved to New York and um, I bought a small little dog walking business and um, started studying plays and everything and really getting into it. And so I ended up um, doing off Broadway John Patrick Shanley's Savage in Limbo. Wow. Which was fantastic. I couldn't get the rights to the darn thing. And I actually figured out where Shanley lived, wrote him a letter and slid it under his door. Wow. And his agent called me the next day and said, John loved your letter. You, he'll let you do the play. Because at that time, he wasn't letting anyone in New York or L.A. do it. You know how they'll do that sometimes, yeah. keep amateur performances? Yeah, they want yeah, to keep protect, it to a minimum. It's their yeah. baby. Yeah. They want to protect it. And so it was an honor to do it. We did it at the Iron Triangle Theater. And so I was doing theater, and I did well, actually. Now, how did you even know how to, like, from the ground up, start a play? I mean, uh, um, yeah, it's good. a lot involved. It's so, not just like, yeah, we'll just put on a play. It's a lot involved. Yeah, I, I, um, I attacked. Um, fortunately for me, my sister was studying with Milton Castellis at the Beverly Hills Playhouse in Los Angeles at oh, the time. Okay. And so she was, she was an actor for a while. So she was one person, like when I was doing um, my auditions for Savage and Limbo, my first professional thing, yeah. um, <laughs> an actor comes up and asks me um, if I have sides. And I didn't know what sides were. <laughs> so great and, to be green. Um, I was just really glad that the actors had a good time. Yeah. We, we were like 90 plus 90% uh, occupant capacity on our seats. Uh, and the reviews were very nice. So I was just like, thank God I didn't come in here and like stink up the place. Right. right. And it was so th- fun. I just really learned as I went. I devoured all the books. I was mm. living in the East Village at the time. Sure. Um, so I was sort of uh, like Mammoth's Theater was right there. And mm. I just, there was a lot going on, a lot to absorb. I would yeah. go to Esper and hang out. Actor Studio would let wow. me guest direct things. and. I was just trying to stay as plugged in and learn as much as I can Yeah. as I went. And then in 99, I was, uh, Milton was doing a workshop in New York and I was invited. I, you know, asked to join yeah. and I was accepted and it was, it, it was, tra- it changed me as a director. And it was a director's workshop. It was actors and directors. Okay. Uh, it was about 150 people in there. And it was incredible. I sat down, like, Miguel Ferrar is to the left of me. Jenna Elfman sitting to the right of me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm, like, way in the back. And because the very first class is there was no um, work. It was mostly, like, Milton introduced, and he talked, and questions, and it was, like, a quick class. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, my God, this guy's incredible. And that was your first time Of of official study. Yeah. Yeah, and the first time I had seen him, yeah. Okay. And I was like, my God, this guy's incredible. And I couldn't believe the people that surrounded me in this class of 150 people. 
I mean, I knew almost everyone in, I, of everybody in there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God. So I went home. And this is what drew me to Milton. I went through the contact sheet for the class. And I called every single person on there. And like I said, out of those 150 people, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say 120 of them are n- known actors. Wow. Every single one of them called me back. That says something, me. Oh, right? Who am I, these but, people? But it says something about how they are, you know? And it told me about Milton. Yeah. About their teacher. Yep. And because the teacher's job, I think more than anything, is the way Milton did it, which was to guide and rehabilitate if necessary. Hmm. Um, a lot of artists, it's not just about their knowledge and their learning of the craft. It's about the attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Milton said, attitude monitors talent. Yeah. And so if we're kind of shut down, um, we're not going to be responsive to things. We're not so going to get true. impacted. We're not going to want to play. Right. And I think that's what really helps you a lot as an actor yeah. is that natural sense of play and that natural listening that you have that you're talking about. Yeah, but that was one of the things I really loved about the Beverly Hills Playhouse approach was that it doesn't, you know, yeah, there's the acting, of course, that's a huge part of it, but the attitude and the and the administration, and I kind of always had the administration part, but the attitude was something, it's always something I've struggled with. And um, when you were talking about, like, I kind of have a theory about addicts and people that go through, because so many artists go through that period of drugs and alcohol and sex and whatever it is, you know, that just kind of takes them out of their art. And um, I think that addicts are really seekers and like, we really need to be plugged in and connected to something. Mm-hmm. And when we're disconnected from that, for us, it's super painful. Like, and I think that's where we have to kind of fill that void mm. with whatever it is. There are people that are not artists that it's just like, hey, Super Bowl, 4th of July, Christmas. You know, they're just kind of going through life and nothing mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. affects them. But true artists, and I think there's a difference between you can be a singer and not be an artist to me. You can be mm-hmm. an actor and not be an artist. But mm-hmm. true artists, um, it's really painful for us when we're not in doing something creative. So if we're not doing something creative, we create all kinds of drama and problems and issues and all that. Mm, so interesting. It because it is a real kind of need, isn't it? And it, it yeah. for me from what I've seen, um like I started my training started really with Milton. Of course I was self training, sneaking oh, into yeah, classes yeah. and you things had like other that. Stuff before that. But but yeah. he really was bringing the training and then with Mr. George DiCenzo in New York. Um, and one of the things with Milton all those years when I was a technical director at the Playhouse for those years, one of the things that was always extremely consistent in what you would see is that the attitude of an actor, of course, for the craft is important because mm-hmm. that aperture, like on a camera, really does need to be open. Mm-hmm. So I can be in the moment responding, reacting to what's affecting me in the moment. Yeah. And so all those things require that sort of team play, that, that willingness to play and commit. But I also found where it translated into how successful you could be in terms of navigating the business. Yeah. One of the things that was amazing to me, I was so fortunate when I started in New York that I was just somehow, and with Milton, I've always worked with a lot of top professional people. Mm. And so my first experiences in community theater and, and things like that, 
um, non uh, non union or very minusculely budgeted mm-hmm. films and things was after all of that after I sort of retired and started coaching <laughs> and teaching yeah and I was amazed that the difference I saw more than anything else was the attitude all of those top guys I worked with yeah were treated as I got it right away. If you showed up on set or in the rehearsal hall and you were serious, you were committed, you were prepared, you had a good attitude, they accepted you as a peer. Yeah. And they no ego. They checked it at the door. You just needed to know your part, your role, how yeah. you fit and what you were doing. Yeah. And you were accepted. It was that simple. But it's funny. I noticed on the lower end of things, if that's the right way to put it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of... I hate to even say it, but there there is a lot of like this little backstabbing and nitpicking yeah, and lying and, and, yeah. and doing it for their own little purposes and, and all that. Yeah, and what we call jibber jabber and <laughs> commissary talk. Yeah, and, and the idea is that and things aren't done by the protocol of the business. They're yeah. sort of made up, and I find that that attitude kind of keeps them there. Mm. Um, it's sort of weird. You you might think it's the other way around with a lot of great success. They're jerk offs. But Mm. for the most part, I found that they had a lot of success, I think, because they cultivated a great attitude along the way. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think there's, you know, in order to be an artist and to really put yourself into these different characters, I think you have to be open. You have to stay open and you have to stay very vulnerable, you know, And, and that's actually a painful way to walk through life. Like, and I've, I've struggled with that dance because I can put on the shield and, and I do stand up and stand up's very different. Stand up is, is control shield. Fuck you. I'm going to say what I want to say. You know, it's not that open sort of vulnerable place that you go to as an actor. So it's like different, Mm. it's almost a different way to be, you know, but it's, um, Mm. you have to, I think you have to continue to be humble and open and vulnerable and all that to really grow as an actor. And, um, and I think when the ego comes in, you know, and starts to, you know, I think that's, that can really take people down. And I had a, I had an acting teacher early, early on say to me, um, you can't be a cynic and be an actress. Mm. She said, you can, you could be a cynic and be a writer, mm. but you can't allow cynicism to come in. You can't be cynical. Like mm. it, you can't really judge. And, and that was hard for me because when you're really like, I don't want to say smart, but, um, whatever you have a, you have a point of view, Mm -hmm. it can easily, your point of view can be like, well, that's shit. This is good. That's crap. You know, but when Mm -hmm. you sit there, it's really hard to then still create and be open and be vulnerable. Mm, So true. Yeah. And it it is that, that nobility that we strive for in it. For example, yeah, I agree with what your teacher told you. Absolutely. I know what I learned is you cannot judge your character. You can't yeah. have judgment. Yeah. Um, because you, it's it's a job of an empathy, really. You're, you're the magic if. Yeah. You're literally putting yourself in that person's shoes, right. And asking yourself, how would I respond? How would yeah. I feel if this was my life? If right. this is who I was. Right. And it's that sort of fun and courageousness. Yeah. That makes for great acting. That's probably what we get addicted to is yeah. just the crafting. I mean, the applause is nice and the money's nice um, when it's coming right yeah. in this business. But it, I think it's the discovery and also the team play. You make, you just create such bonds with people Yeah, because you are striving to the nobility of art. Right. Um, and that's what drew me to Milton 
and George Dicenza was they were, because they come from that long lineage, you know, Milton was with Strasbourg. He mm -hmm. was under Ilya Kazan. Mm -hmm. um, he mentored under Ilya, for Christ's sake. Wow. So he goes straight back to Stella and Stanislavski. And so to keep that tradition alive, the nobility of the craft meant so much to me when I met Milton, I got it. Yeah. Because if this is just about gloss and pop, Right. And no offense to the Kardashians. They're right. extremely successful. Right. Uh, but that sort of reality TV, that sort of superficial entertainment, yeah. you know, it's all light on the top. Um, I don't know where we're going to be as a society if we lose our desire and the fun of metaphor. Yeah. And subtext. Mm -hmm. um, think of a world without ever having Shakespeare. Right. It would sort of be like that. Yeah. So for me, the, a lot of the fun of what we do is to strive towards that nobility to give to them. So for me, the artists that really strive for it are those ones, I think, that sort of put the goal past their own fears. Yeah, That's why I think a lot of people that have success, and I'm sure you are probably a, the same way, I would think, is that as a kid you were performing. Yeah. Yeah, right? You just had the passion. Yeah, always. Me and my brother used to put on shows. My parents always had sound equipment, so we would always go downstairs and you know, play band. And me and my brother were big into the carpenters because he played drums and I have like this alto voice. <laughs> so it's like, we were these very strange kids. We're like kids were out, you know, riding bikes and whatever. And me and my brother were like down in the basement singing these like dark songs, you know, it's like so weird. And um, I tell this to Kevin all the time. Like one of my favorite things to do when I was a kid was I would have my own talk show and I must've been four or five. I would set up these little white chairs and I had tons of stuffed animals and I would put them on the chair and I would use the Johnny Carson theme, but I would have words to it. So I would go, da -da 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 -da. it's the Andrea show. Da -da 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 -da. It's the Andrea show. And then I would be like, today we're interviewing, you know, Peter Rabbit. He's had a rough life and he's here to talk about, you know, they would be all set up because I was obsessed with, um, talk shows. I was obsessed with like people telling their story about where they started, where they mm. came from. And um, I would race home after school to watch the Mike Douglas show. It was like my favorite show. And it was seven, mm. six or seven. Mike Douglas with my grandmother. We would watch it on the couch. And I would, I was telling my husband, I go, when I would get really excited is when Mike Douglas would be on a leave of absence and Toadie Fields would be hosting. Mm. And Toadie Fields at the end was, you know, she had both her legs cut off. She was diabetic. She was mm. in a wheelchair, but she was like a broad, you know? Mm. And I loved it. And it was like, what seven-year-old, you know, responds to that? But I was just, yeah, I loved it. I loved the talk and answer kind of thing, you know? Um, and it's like, you know, years later, here we are. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> it's like the Andrea yeah. show. Yeah, I love to. I love the behind the scenes. Like that's my favorite shit to watch on mm. TV. Is I used to love inside the actor's studio. Like yeah, Lipton. Loved yeah. it. Like where? How do you go from there to there? Like you know that. Yeah. That's I think the most fascinating thing about any story is I love that like you start here and you end there. Like how does that happen? The journey. The journey. Mm. Like I love that and. I think coming to Vegas has been really good for me in the sense that the pressure's kind of off. Um, living in LA, I felt a lot of pressure. Plus I was a single mom. I had two kids. I was trying to make it as an actress. Mm. And <clears throat> the making it became super important because we want to have things. You know what I mean? We want to buy a house. We want to, you know, I want to pay for your college. Like, so it was so much pressure. And I think I lost what I had in New York, which was the play, the art, the, you know, I loved mm. plays and, and, um, when I came to LA, it became, 
I don't know. It just, it became superficial. Like I used to say when I was in New York, I could play a nurse, I could play a lawyer. When I came to LA, I just played hookers. It was like, you have tits, you're playing a hooker. It's like every role was like, you know, and it just got like, it was boring. Like, you know, even like, mm-hmm. you know, I played, and I'm grateful for all the work I did, but it was like, you know, that was the girl I'm married with children. I was mm-hmm. the gumad on the practice, but it was like very typecast yeah. it. You didn't get mm-hmm. to like branch out of that. You know? Rarely, I think, do you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> right. I think a lot of probably what, gets to actors is that where they're put in a box they're a product yeah and you and you're always flirting with being typecasted a stereotype and of course as an actor you're striving as a trained actor you're striving for truth yeah to be real and interesting yeah moment to moment what's the story right how do what's the relationship and they're like just show me the tits right and i can see where LA can get hard on people because the yeah. business it's a it's designed to make money. Yeah. And, and and that's what they're looking at. We have to sell this product. How do we sell it? What's the best way, the quickest way, easiest way to sell it? Can't blame them for that. No. And that's why I'm kind of excited to be getting older. <laughs> like, mm. Because I'm moving into a different category. Cause the thing that was hard for me was that, you know, and I did Baywatch, Married with Children, the practice, Norm Show, the all but it was all the same person. But the difference was between me and the other girls is that I was a mom. I was always a mom. I was a mom since I was 18, but mm. I never played a mom because physicality, I didn't fit right. what Hollywood decided was a mom, you know? Right. But now as I'm getting older, it's like, oh, those are the great parts. Death those of a the, salesman. Yeah. Those are the, right. That's the like, network. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So many. Yeah. So many. Um, not as many as there should be, of course. Right. Um, but, you know, I think the ladies, I, I really don't have any right to speak as a man, I don't think, but it feels like the, um, the ladies are finally getting some juice, some weight. A lot of the actresses who have done very well are forming their own production companies. Yeah. And they, they've kind of figured it out. Yeah. Right. The role. You got it yeah. from the top down is how we need to do this. Right. And um, what uh, Benedict just uh, Cumberpatch is that yeah, the gentleman yeah. who, who's just announced that he's only going to accept equal wages with his co-lead? His good female, for him, right? Yeah. So it's a really good time. Um, the diversity now that's out there. Um, yeah. I, I think social media takes it a little too far. Right. I don't know if any of us wants to see a no-name actor be right. the star of a thirty million dollar film over Brian Cranston. No. I, I don't know if we really want that. If we want to see that. You know, or that's going to really make the money so they can keep making more films so actors can keep having opportunities. Yeah. But I I do agree that all people should get a shot and they should in the typecasting. Yeah. We would like to see kind of go where, you know. Well, it's just a matter of writing. That's really what it comes down to, to just write more different roles, more interesting roles for men and women, you know, just, just, you know, thinking outside the box. But when I was, um, when I was managing, um, Sorry, I just looked up and there was a bug. I think it's a mosquito. It's trapped inside your light. It's going to die in there. (laughs) Uh, It's almost a Greek tragedy (laughs) here in the living room between a mosquito and the sun. Right? He's like, this isn't the sun. Um, (laughs) Oh, oh, Icarus, how you fail. (laughs) Yeah, I think that um, uh, there are... There are a lot of great parts and great roles and, you know, and I think it's just a matter of like kind of, you know, maneuvering and figuring it out. And, and I think, um, 
I think a lot of actors that do get typecast then get to go and do plays and kind of, you yeah. know, fill, fill it a different way. You know what I mean? And, I think that's, what do you think, Andrea? I mean, I think, I know for me, uh, myself and a lot of my friends in New York and Los Angeles, um, we all love theater because, and scene study class, because it gave us an opportunity to constantly be working. You know, when you're in a scene study class, yeah. you're still putting in hours and hours of rehearsal and yeah. you're treating it just like a professional performance. Yeah. Because that's the standard expected when you do it in the class. Oh, 100%. It is like right? putting on a mini play. You I mean, know? it's the same yeah. standard. I'm yeah. certainly not going to bring doo-doo in front of Milton Casellas, that's no. for sure. No, And it was a great freedom in that because we could yeah. do the parts we wanted to do yeah. and get the muscles working and, and you know... It's like a racehorse being in the barn all the time is kind of how I would think of it. We yeah. want to run, you know. And, yeah. And theater gives us uh, that great advantage, I believe. Um, like L.A. has a great 99, under 99-seat yeah. scene yeah. in theater. Yeah. They do a lot of great things there. Or New York, obviously. Right. It's the obviously, mecca of the yeah. world for theater. And what about here? Vegas has some things. I, I have to admit, I've been reluctant Um and with the theater here, but I have been seeing some downtown. Yeah, what is the is it the Cockroach Theater? Cockroach Theater's a one. Majestic, got majestic. You got Public Fit. Uh-huh. Um, there was just a great uh, production of Twelve Angry Men by yeah. Poor Richard Players. Yeah, um, that was really nice. I was over at the Arts Factory. Okay. Um, so the theater scene here is it's really grown. nice, and that's part like with my class. Um, one of the things that's really I enjoy about it is, is that in Las Vegas, we're so close to Los Angeles, but yet Los Angeles kind of really could care less about the acting world of Las Vegas. Right. So that provides the actors here who are learning an opportunity to study craft. Yep. Um, I teach the, the approach of Milton Katzelis, mm -hmm. um, affiliated um, with the Beverly Hills Playhouse. So I'm under their... Oh, uh, I don't know. What do you would say? Uh, they bless. Umbrella. They yeah. bless my operation, <laughs> right. as it their, were. Right, you have their blessing, uh, which is great because Milton's approach, I believe, is very important. I think all these old school cats, yeah, uh, Meisner, even all of them. And there's such value in somebody who studied with those people because there's not a lot of those people. You know what I mean? You're one of them. Ivana Chubbuck studied with people. You know, I mean, Ivana, people that, she's fantastic. That's where I studied before I came to the Playhouse. Um, she's fantastic. Yeah, she she's she great. reminded me a lot of Milton. Yeah. She's strong. Very strong. Uh, very knowledgeable. Yep. Um, very talented at what she does. Yep. Yeah. And her studio is good. It's a it's a good studio. I enjoyed I enjoyed that that as well. I got different stuff at different places, but I think that kind of helped me sort of get my approach. It's a, like it's important, right, to study it as a craft. It is a skill and it is an actual craft. Like if you're going to one day go from a hammer and a nail to being a master carpenter. Yeah. There's a craft you have to learn to get to that place. What yeah. do you suggest for young, like, like people that are listening that are actors that are, you know, think they want to try it or whatever. Can they just come into your class? Do you have an audition process or? Yeah, my class, well, it's easy to get into a class, right? Um, for my class, for example, you would just go to the website, dkactingclass.com. Uh, you would register for a free audit. Audit means you observe, mm -hmm. to listen. So basically you come to the class, um, sit with the other students, and observe the class for free so you can make an informed decision. Um, that's sort of the most I can do on my end for them, outside of also telling them um, that without passion, without drive, 
Like if you're not one of those people that were born to perform mm-hmm. and it's just in you to tell stories, mm-hmm. you're going and you then I ask about discipline. I ask like if they're a performer athlete. Yeah. Or a dancer. Yeah. I have a few of the Cirque Soleil performers in my class, for mm-hmm. example, very disciplined. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that passion and that drive moving you, it's going to have to be the discipline that moves you. Yeah. Because there's, as you know, so much to learn in this business. It's not just the craft and the attitude, right. but it's also how you conduct yourself. Yeah. Because it's very much a first impressions business. So yeah. that's what I love about Vegas is it gives these students an opportunity to do some local films here and, you know, and, and even if they're halfway disastrous the way they're doing it, it's an opportunity to get in front of a camera to learn how to function with a boom mic or an L mic. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of important things there, how to breathe through it, relax. Yeah. Um, cause they learn it in class. It's a scene study class, but I also do exercises. Um, and you so give them a lot of the business, you know, it's so in your Im- class. It's so important. Yeah. Um, I've seen so many people lose opportunities because their attitude was off and they didn't understand the protocol of how to do it. Like the key thing I try to teach them on that is time. The bottom line in this business is the respect of time. Mm -hmm. It's not really the respect of money. They're kind of the same. So for example, on the set, yeah, there's a lot of money ticking off every minute, Yeah, but that's about the time. So if I'm on time, I'm prepared, I'm ready, and I'm not doing things that make that cost time mm-hmm. i'm my i'm doing the right things in that regard with time if that makes sense so the yeah. main thing i try to tell people that are new that ask me you know i'm just telling people <laughs> um is that you have to have passion and if you don't have passion you're going to have discipline and if you're doing this for the money or fame you might want to think of something else to do yeah. or go a different route right and you may not even necessarily need to learn the craft mm-hmm so for me, um, from acceptance into my class is really predicated on the audit, if they like the class, and then I just give them the warning. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. Right. I mean, I give you things to help you. Like, I will refer them to the top photographers and for the real service and mm-hmm. help them with the resume and point them to the links here for local representation and yeah. then help them with, um, send you have a whole, you have a whole opera. handbook that I, they get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that handbook's really good. Gives them the step by step. Cause there's yeah. so much to do. And that's the thing. When you decide you want to do this, it is a little overwhelming. Like, where do I start? Where do I begin? You know, when I, when I came to LA, I moved to LA, you haul two kids and a dog. I was like, we're coming to LA. I'm doing this. Like I just was mm-hmm. like, but I had no idea where to start. <laughs> so it really was like, what class do I go into? What, you know, where do I, where do I get headshots? Where do I get an agent? Where do I get a, it's, um, it's tough. It's overwhelming. And Vegas is a little hard because there's a disconnect, I believe. Yeah. There's not a community uh, here the same way. It's disconnected. I, it feels like, you know, I've only been here a couple of years and there's a lot of great people here. A lot of great artists. Um, a lot of people really working to entertain and make mm-hmm. people think and yeah. bring great work. Uh, my whole dream here is to marry the theater and the film. Um, so, because as you know, you have to train in a theater. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's just the best place for us to train. If you're a basketball player, you train in a basketball gym. Right. So if you're an actor, you train in a theater. 
And so they can study, they can train, they can rehearse, and they can work on their own projects and make all the mistakes here really kind of go from green to not so green and get some craft behind them. And then they can really make a legitimate look at L.A. I think a lot of young actors have a misconception that they have to be perfect or they have to be so fantastic or all these things need to be in order for them to see if they can work in Los Angeles. And really, I believe an actor really just needs to be able to walk, talk, and chew gum at the same time, mm-hmm. understand attitude, mm-hmm. have a coach who can kind of give them little tips on the protocol of that audition or kind of walk them through each scenario as it comes up. Right. And then they're working on what we call that first circle of casting. Yeah. So if they're just submitting for things that are right in their wheelhouse, that they could really just be them. Right. And then bringing that work to class or with the coaching, they can dial it in. Well, by gosh, they're ready to submit an audition in LA, aren't they? Yeah. So it's doesn't, it's really not, a thing that someone has to wait a long time to, the thing that takes a long time is mastering the craft. Mm. Going from where you can kind of walk, talk, and chew gum to where you can do origami, in, right. a, in a sense. Right, yeah. yeah. When you uh, have young actors in your class, what do you think is, um, like, what are some of the obstacles that you see sometimes in young actors when they come in? Is it is it lack of focus or lack of belief in themselves? That's a great question. I think a lot of what I see is a lack of a focused passion. Mm. So people that were born, like I have a young actor in my class, uh, Logan. Right. Logan Wilson, and fine young actor. But he's been with me since I've been in Las Vegas. He was one of those original kids in the workshop when I came here. And he's like my most experienced actor. He's got representation in L.A., manager. Right. Um, Right now, I think he's auditioning this week for a reoccurring for a CBS show. Um, And he keeps at it, keeps studying. When he started with me, he had zero training, zero experience, just a passion. Mm. And the passion is really what drives him. Yeah. Um, And that really becomes the most important thing. I think especially in like Las Vegas, like you probably experienced this too. I remember in New York, there must have been a community of hundreds, if not thousands of us who were all about the theater scene in New York. And there are so many fantastic, even black boxes in New York. Yeah. There's so many incredible theaters. Yeah. You can throw a rock and hit a rehearsal hall in New York, yeah. right? Midtown. Yeah. So you develop that hunger and that sense of community. And I believe here, a lot of the acting, I could be wrong, a lot of the acting community in the film is sort of predicated around more like homegrown personal projects that aren't really backed by any real studio or independent yeah. studio. Yeah. And there are and a lot of um, uh, extra work. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, actors are not extras. Right. That's a different classification. Right. And so there's a certain level here in Las Vegas where I see a lot of desire, I see a lot of passion, but I just see a lot of disconnect between the film community here and the theater community. Yeah. So one of the things I'm I'm really hopeful to do is to kind of bridge that somehow. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But the idea is that there's a lot of potential in this town to really be a great contributor to the art world in terms of yeah. performance art. And yeah. I'm just being totally honest when I tell you, I know I talked to friend, I talked to SAG like just not that long ago about this. 
we're a laughing stock, the Los Angeles. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, didn't we have a local chapter, a local SAG chapter, and then it closed? Well, there like, you go. Like, I, yeah, it's very, it's very strange. I experienced that when we came here. Well, we didn't come here to do casino. I came here when casino was going on and, and worked in that film. And, uh, man, it was almost like, it was like a circus came to town and people were just like, you know, but there was no real, I mean, it was funny because we were, uh, featured extras. So, you know, I was in it, like, I'm going to get a part. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm going to get upgraded, get a part. Right. But right. a lot of the other girls that they hired, we were cocktail waitresses. And a lot of the other girls they hired to be cocktail waitresses were just dancers. They were just strippers in the clubs. Right. And they hired them to be cocktail waitresses. And it right. was so funny because like halfway through the, the shoe, right? Martin Scorsese, no day was shorter than 12 hours. Sure. Most of them sure. were 14 hours. Sure. About eight hours. The girl was like, I'm out of here. I'm not staying. And they're like, wait, you're featured in all these shots. We got to have you for continuity. She's like, I got to go to work. I'm not making that much. This is ridiculous. Wow. How long is this going to go on for? She, yeah. I just wanted to see Robert De Niro yeah. and now I'm out. And she took her whole costume off, threw it on the ground and yeah. left. And it was like, wow, you know, it's just a different, different world. And here. unfortunately that's kind of our reputation with yeah. Los Angeles is exactly that. And I'm a man with a dream. I guess one of my dreams is that we can eliminate that perception. Well, I think you're you're on the road because I will say I, I audited other classes before coming to your class. And, you know, your class is the real deal. Like it's, you know, it, it is a Los Angeles class in Las Vegas, mm, you know. Thank and you. sometimes I sit there in the back and I think they don't even know what. <laughs> I don't think they do. And I, sometimes. And I, I mean, I'm still learning to teach. I've only, I was coaching for about five years. Uh, so now it'd be about seven years I've been coaching, but I've only been teaching a class for like two and a half years now. So I'm still learning how to teach. Do you find yourself channeling Milton? Like there's certain things where you feel like that just, uh, this is what he would say in that moment. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, sometimes I do. He and George DiCenzo. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you f you find your way. You have right. to be truthful and genuine and have your voice. That's important, I think, for an artist as it is for the teacher. Um, but, oh, yeah, he absolutely informs me. I was so fortunate. Um, Milton just took a... He took a shine to me, in a way. Um, when I was with him in New York... I was determined to get a lot of work done. So I put up the very first scene on the very first day of class in New York. I was in there as a director mm -hmm. and my, one of my actors rebelled on me, went upstage out of the light and did the whole thing out of the book. <laughs> and Milton like <sighs> laid and he got on me because, um, as he called me a Nazi director <laughs> And it was true. I, I had this thing, like I was treating my actors like cattle. That was one of my problems. Yeah. I saw them as pieces in my design. Right. Like and, a human prop. Can you just yeah, stand there? <laughs> yeah. And like if it wasn't, and like if they weren't verbatim right on it, yeah. like they should be, but right. I don't have, one, one of the things I learned with Milton and in New York is as a director, your primary job outside of the obvious is to get them there without them knowing you're getting them there. True. To work with what they're offering you. You can't, right. I can't change them from a circle to a square. Right. And that was the big thing he taught me. So after that first class, when he railed on me, mm. I knew this was the guy for me. Yeah. And I just kept putting up as much work as I possibly could in that class. And yeah. I think he, he liked that. Plus George DiCenzo, a lot of people know him, but incredible actor, director, uh, graduate of Yale 
Yell uh, drama. Mm. Um, fantastic actor in New York for decades. Really Milton's right-hand teacher. Yeah. Really. And, uh, but George had a tendency for class to show up like two minutes before the class started. So I was all about it. So I got the class an hour early every day so I could sit in the front row. And I didn't know that all the big shots get to sit in the front row. I didn't right. know that. I, I right. just, what do I know? So, but I knew I got to get there an hour early because I'm going to sit right next to that dude because I'm picking up everything this dude's saying. Yeah. And George would come in late. Mm -hmm. And so George, hey, kid, can you save me a seat? So I would save George a seat next to me. (laughs) Now he would get there like 10 seconds before it started. And Well, he he was such a classy guy. He wasn't like, hey, let me make the pee on, get me a seat. Yeah, yeah. He reciprocated by kind of taking me under his wing and he'd write me notes during class like, Check out the moment to moment there. Mm. See, that's inner life. So start to watch. That's right? inner life. See the yeah. inner life? See the cover? Yeah. That eval is too low for the cover. And, and I, oh, yeah. And he kind of took me under his wing like that. So when Milton went back to Los Angeles, the workshop was like three months. Wow. He had me studying with George. Oh. And then in, uh, what was it now? I guess 2003, I went out to the Beverly Hills Playhouse and was their production stage manager and director technical director out there for the school and the theater company. Wow. Which I learned a tremendous amount watching all of these great people work in rehearsals um, and collaborating with them. Yeah. Um, It was really fantastic. And so that's kind of the arc of it. So like in Las Vegas, I'm really, I feel very fortunate that I can teach Milton's approach here with the blessing of the Playhouse. Yeah. Because for me, and, and I'm sure as you know too, scene study of a craft is really the only way to learn acting outside of you have to know voice, dance, movement, obviously, yeah. but you have to study it. You have to rehearse it. Um, I was in an acting class here not long ago, checking it out. And I was surprised they were doing the whole class with scripts in their hand. And obviously I didn't say anything. I don't want to be right. rude. I was right. just curious. And, yeah. But I thought, Hmm. That's impossible to learn how to act with a script in your hand for so many reasons. And one of the troubles I had here in Las Vegas when I first started is I would try to explain why. Yeah. But no one had the context to understand it, nor the inclination to believe someone who they haven't, isn't famous or something. Right. Um, So, which I understand. Yeah. So in Vegas, I think it's a little harder for people starting out because... As far as I know, I'm the only scene study class in town. Yeah. And hardly anyone even knows I exist. Yeah, I I didn't know first. I kind of stumbled on it after I was like so desperate. I was like, there's got to be something. I mean, I have a website and stuff. I'm not, I have a person that um, I asked to do my social media for me um, uh, simply because I'm, awful with those things. I didn't even yeah. know what a podcast was when you asked me. Yeah. I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is that like radio? <laughs> Old Man River over here. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Yeah. So I, that's where I tried to help them the most is to give them an environment yeah. of scene study where they learn the protocols. Yeah. And to match their give. So like in my class, people will meet once a week for the scene study class. 
But I also provide for them during the week. I'm available for career guidance and mm-hmm. video coaching. Mm-hmm. So if you have an audition coming up or you want to work on something or you have a question about the business or there's a contract you want me to read for you yeah. or something like that. And that's kind of the playhouse way, sort of like they're very personable as far as like spending time and, you know, and, and, and like I remember when I booked, um, when I booked the film and I was just a little baffled on what my role was in the film. Like I read the script and I kind of had some ideas, but I don't know. I wasn't really getting it. And I met with Art Cohan. Yeah. Yeah. It was so great. And he just, he's still there. He gave me the best advice. He was like, you know, you just, just take care of your husband. That's what the whole thing's Mm, about. Just take care of your husband. Yeah. And it was like, anytime I felt stuck in the scene, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And just Mm. those little things, you know, just, so helpful. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. You've been a fantastic guest. I got to bring you back. Thank you. I, I got so many more questions. I had all these jokes written. Did you? I, you wrote down material? I, I didn't get any jokes in. <laughs> I hope I was entertaining. I, I don't know. No, I'm, it's fascinating. And there's so, there's, uh, there's more, there's more I want to, I want to know because you're like me, you've, you have that life where you've been ever, been a bunch of places, done a bunch of things, but we're still standing, Andrea. Yeah, that's Can it, you man. Believe it? We're still here, and right? What a joy to to spend this evening with you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been so great to have you. And we'll put all the website stuff up on the podcast website so people know where to come check you out to find my hidden little to gem. Find your hid the hidden gem of Las Vegas, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well. I'm just saying, if you're an actor, or you have any dreams of being an actor. This is the guy to go to. So uh, thanks so much, Dean, for stopping by. Thank you, Andrea. You're welcome. Hey there, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed Dean Kraling. I hope you go check out his website, his acting class, DK Acting Studio here in Las Vegas. Um, I got a bunch of dates coming up. I'm at Hooters, um, April 6th, April 13th. I'm at Rick's Roland Smoke and Barbecue on April 24th. I am on Comics Battle uh, at Alexis Park on April 20th. And I think there's some other ones, so please go check it out on my website. Also, very exciting news. We will be shooting a short film that I wrote. Um, my husband will be uh, directing it, and I will actually be in it. And we have a GoFundMe uh, for the project. So you guys could stop by, drop a dollar or so. I'd really appreciate it. You can do that on my website, andreanatoli.com forward slash Dominic. That's the name of the project, Dominic. Um, Everybody have a great, wonderful rest of your day. And thanks, as always, for tuning in. Much love.